Chapter 14 A History of California, the American Period by Robert Glass Cleland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14 California, Great Britain, and the United States. In the preceding chapter, the course of California events was brought down to the outbreak of the Bear Flag Revolt. It is now necessary to consider the rumored designs of Great Britain to annex the province and the influence these exerted upon Polk's policy of annexation. As already pointed out, it is almost a truism to say that nearly every acquisition of territory by the United States has been hastened by the reported designs of some European nation upon that territory. Jefferson saw grave menace in the French control of Louisiana. Jackson was even more concerned over the British activities in Texas. Polk professed to be alarmed at the English designs on California. Fremont and the Bear Flag insurgents asserted that their uprising alone saved that territory from British hands. How far were these fears regarding British designs on California justified by actual conditions or based on reasonable grounds? One of the earliest indications of English interest in California appeared in 1839 with the publication of Alexander Forbes's History of California. Forbes, who was British vice-consul at Tepic, had never been in California but was pretty thoroughly informed as to conditions there and knew also of the demoralization existing in the Mexican government. His book, which had a wide circulation in the United States as well as England, contained much historical information but its real purpose, as Forbes frankly stated, was to encourage the colonization of California by British subjects. The author went even so far as to outline in considerable detail a plan for the cession of the province as a means of satisfying a debt of $50 million represented by Mexican bonds in the hands of English investors. These creditors were to be organized into a company to take over California, and exercise in it much the same powers of sovereignty that the British East India Company enjoyed in India. Forbes's history, coming at a time when American suspicions of Great Britain were already aroused, created a popular impression that what the author advocated had actually been begun. The Baltimore American, for example, expressed this general sentiment in the following words, quote, The vast indebtedness of Mexico to Great Britain is well known, as a convenient mode of cancelling her obligations, nothing is more probable than that the former would willingly part with a territory which she cannot occupy, and to which, in the course of things, she could not long extend even a nominal claim. The policy of the British government looks toward nothing more favorably than to the acquisition of territory in different parts of the world. The possession of California would strengthen her in carrying out her pretensions to the Oregon country, which she not only claims, but already occupies by the agency of trading companies. The whole coast of the Pacific would thus be in the grasp of a powerful nation, a nation that never lets slip an occasion of extending the limits of her domains. To make the Rocky Mountains the boundary of the United States on the west, to hold the spacious valley between the ridge and the ocean running down to the bottom of the peninsula of California, thus possessing the seaboard, by means of which the commerce with China and East India would be secured to British interests, this would be an attainment worthy of no small effort on the part of Great Britain. 
Within the next few years, such warnings as that issued by the Baltimore American against British designs on California appeared in many other magazines and newspapers, without geographic distinction, throughout the United States. As the tension between the two countries increased during Tyler's administration and the public mind became more and more inflamed with anti-British feeling, these warnings grew both in number and intensity until in January 1846, even the American Whig Review, one of the most thoughtful journals of its day, frankly declared that the purpose of England and California was so inconsistent with the interests and safety of the United States that this country could not permit its accomplishment under any circumstance. Much more significant than the popular fear of English domination in California during these early years was the genuine anxiety prevalent in government circles lest British officials should defeat the American plans for annexation and set up some form of British control that would shut the United States away from the Pacific and fix the Rocky Mountains as the westward limit of her development. The suspicion of British designs served as the background for much of American policy toward California and Mexico for some years prior to 1846. Its influence appears certainly as early as 1842, when Commodore Jones, overzealous for the interests of the United States, seized the port of Monterey. As described in a previous chapter, this action was due to the erroneous belief that war between Mexico and the United States had actually broken out. The haste with which Jones moved, however, was not so much to forestall Mexico as to checkmate the secret plans of England. In explaining his intended course, the American commander, while on his way to Monterey, wrote the Secretary of Navy as follows, quote, The Creole affair, the question of the right of search, the mission of Lord Ashburton, the well-founded rumor of accession of the Californias, and lastly the secret movement of the English naval force in this quarter, have all occurred since the date of your last despatch. Consequently, I am without instructions upon what I consider a vital question to the United States, namely the occupation of California by Great Britain under a secret treaty with Mexico. Jones was by no means the only one in government circles who looked askance at the California plans of European nations. From Mexico City, Waddy Thompson, the American minister, insistently called the attention of the State Department to the menace of British and French aggression in California, and urged this as an additional necessity for the annexation of the province by the United States. In fact, nearly every letter Thompson sent, whether to Webster or to President Tyler, carried this note of warning. Quote, I have information on which I can rely, he wrote under date of July 30, 1842, that an agent of this government is now in England negotiating for the sale, or what is precisely the same things, the mortgage of Upper California for the loan of 15 millions. In my first despatch, I glanced at the advantages which would result to our country from the acquisition. Great as these advantages would be, they sink in comparison with the evils to our commerce and other interests, even more important, from the cession of that country to England." End quote. A later despatch of January 30, 1843, had this to say of the situation. Quote, I know that England has designs on California and has actually made a treaty with Mexico securing to British creditors the right to lands there in payment of their debts and that England will interpose this treaty in the way of a cession of California and that in ten years she will own the country. End quote. 
Thompson's successors in charge of the American legation in Mexico, without exception, emphasized, as he had done, the danger of British control in California. For example, in October 1844, Duff Green, Calhoun's confidential agent in Mexico, wrote to his superior in the following vein, quote, Permit me to call your attention to the mortgage on the Californias. In a previous paragraph, Green fixed the amount of this mortgage at $26 million. I am told that it contains the condition that if the money is not paid in 1847, the creditor shall take possession of the country. The British Consul General here is agent of the creditors. I have endeavored to obtain a copy of the deed, but cannot do it without paying 1500 or $2,000 for it. Permit me to say that it is important that you should obtain this through our minister here or in London, as the possession of California will necessarily command the settlements on the Columbia. Soon after this, rumor of a new plan for ceding California to Great Britain through secret negotiations between Santa Anna and the English minister reached Calhoun from Shannon, who was then in charge of American interests in Mexico. Santa Anna had just experienced one of his numerous reverses. A revolutionary party, after overturning the government, had seized his person and taken from him a number of compromising documents. The new administration had published certain parts of these documents to discredit Santa Anna with the Mexican people, and laid the rest in secret session before Congress. Quote, from a portion of this correspondence, wrote Shannon, the fact has been disclosed that a negotiation was going on between President Santa Anna and the English minister for the sale and purchase of the two Californias. The English minister has no doubt in this manner acted under instructions from his government. It may therefore be assumed that it is the settled policy of the English government to acquire the two Californias. You are aware that the English creditors have now a mortgage on them for 26 millions, end quote. The reports of English ambitions, which reached Washington and the American public from Mexico, were amply supplemented by direct information from the Pacific coast. The upshot of the situation is not difficult to understand. By 1845, there were few Americans, either in their own country or in California, who were not honestly convinced that the fate of the Trans-Rocky Mountain West lay in the balance between the United States and Great Britain. The same conviction prevailed in official circles and grew stronger as the months passed on. Two questions next demanded answer. To what extent were these reports of British purpose based on substantial fact, and how far were they believed and acted upon by President Polk and his California policy? The first question can be answered with a fair degree of definiteness. At the time the California situation was approaching a crisis, the government of Great Britain, for once in its long history, had become temporarily satiated with colonial possessions and was not keenly enough interested in California to engage in an active campaign for annexation. This did not mean, however, that the persistent rumors of British plans were mere products of the American imagination, manufactured as annexation propaganda or the result of national hysteria. For, as a matter of fact, every report of this kind of any consequence had behind it sufficient truth to justify its acceptance by the American public. The warning so frequently voiced that Mexico planned a cession of California to England to cancel or guarantee her debt to British creditors rested upon an official agreement entered into in 1837. 
Under the terms of this arrangement, English holders of Mexican bonds, instead of being paid in cash, a commodity with which Mexico lived in chronic want, were to be given land, of which Mexico had an infinite supply for colonization purposes. In speaking of this plan, the British minister to Mexico, Sir Richard Pakenham, after calling attention to the impossibility of colonizing other portions of Mexico, wrote as follows in the summer of 1841, quote, I believe there is no part of the world offering greater natural advantages for the establishment of an English colony than the province of Upper California. While its commanding position on the Pacific, its fine harbors, its forests of excellent timber for shipbuilding as well as for every other purpose, appear to me to render it by all means desirable from a political point of view that California, once ceasing to belong to Mexico, should not fall into the hands of any power but England and the present debilitated condition of mexico and the gradual increase of foreign population in california render it probable that its separation from mexico will be effected at no distant period the project urged by pakenham from mexico city as previously stated was one of the chief grounds of american anxiety another was the presence of the hudson's bay company in the province this company was not only sending trapping parties down from Oregon, but had recently established a regular trading post at San Francisco and was seeking large grants of land from California government, while its employees were cultivating farms, building mills, and otherwise showing their intention of making the company's occupation permanent. That this interest in the political future of California was not a mere figment of the American imagination is clearly seen in the following extract from a letter written by sir george simpson the powerful head of the hudson's bay company who was then on tour around the world incidentally the letter was designed for the eyes of the british cabinet it was written from honolulu in march eighteen forty two after simpson's visit to the san francisco station in it he said of california quote, the country, from its natural advantages, possessing as it does the finest harbor in the northern Pacific in the Bay of San Francisco, and capable as it is of maintaining a population of some millions of agriculturalists, might become invaluable to Great Britain as an outlet to her surplus population, as a stronghold and protection to her commerce and interests in these seas, and as a market for her manufactures and as the principal people in the country, and indeed the whole population, seem anxious to be released from the Republic of Mexico, I have reason to believe they would require very little encouragement to declare their independence of Mexico and place themselves under the protection of Great Britain. Indeed, it has been communicated to me confidentially, and I feel authorized to say that the presence of a British cruiser on the coast with a private assurance of protection from Great Britain and appointments being given to the present higher authorities and officials, which would not involve a larger sum than a few thousand pounds per annum, would be sufficient inducement to declare themselves independent of Mexico and claim the protection of Great Britain. This sympathetic attitude of many of the California leaders towards Great Britain, to which Simpson referred, was another disturbing element to the American peace of mind. The activities of such British officials as the English minister, Pakenham, in Mexico City, of Barron, consul at Tepic, and of Admiral Seymour, in command of a British squadron in the Pacific, also furnished a substantial foundation for the common belief that England had designs upon California. 
Whatever may be said as to the indifferent attitude of the British government itself toward the province during this period, it is nevertheless certain that most British officials, both in Mexico and in California, were actively engaged either with outright plans for annexation or with measures to defeat the ambitions of the United States. Under these conditions, it would seem both natural and excusable for Americans, who had no means of penetrating these secrets of the British cabinet, to accept the attitude of the English agents as a correct index of the purpose of the British government, especially as the peculiar tradition of that government was a tradition of colonial expansion. Nor was the British government itself, even in the brief period from 1842 to 1846, when she seems to have fallen away temporarily from her settled imperial policy, entirely indifferent to the annexation of California. On December 31, 1844, Lord Aberdeen, who then held a foreign office, wrote Bankhead at Mexico City and Baron Tepic in a tone very similar to that employed by Buchanan in his letter to Larkin of October 17, 1845. Though his government would not aid a movement for independence, wrote Aberdeen in these dispatches, nor promise, even after successful revolt, a protectorate for California which Barron had previously urged, yet it was none of the business of the British government to discourage such a rebellion, nor of British officials to warn Mexico of the likelihood of its occurrence. Bankhead, indeed, was cautioned specifically against giving any information about California affairs to Mexican officials and Barron was instructed to make the Californians understand that Great Britain would view with much dissatisfaction the establishment of a protectoral power over California by any other foreign state. With this sketch of the manifestations of English interest in California before Polk came into office for a background, it is pertinent to ask how far the latter's policy was influenced by the possibility or rather probability, of British designs conflicting with his own plans of annexation. The answer to this question cannot be as definite as the answer to a mathematical problem, but enough evidence is at hand to show that nearly every movement Polk made with regard to California was, in some measure, based upon the English situation. In the first place, entirely apart from the California issue, Polk's suspicions of Great Britain were fed by many springs, the Oregon controversy had not bred a spirit of friendliness between the two countries, and for more than two years the press on either side of the Atlantic had been carrying on a mutual campaign of criticism and vituperation. British influence had also appeared here, there, and everywhere in the critical issue of Texas annexation. Besides these more definite and concrete factors, there was the bitter anti-British feeling so prevalent in the southwest of Andrew Jackson's day. Polk, protege, friend, and political disciple of the hero of New Orleans, was certainly not likely to be overly charitable in his judgments of English policy. Polk's plans for annexation were not fully matured before reports of British designs on California, similar to those which had come to Tyler, began to reach Washington. The administration's agent, William S. Parrott, wrote from Mexico on May 13, 1845, quote, Great Britain has greatly increased her naval forces in the Pacific, the object of which, as stated, is to take possession of and hold Upper California in case of a war between the United States and Mexico. 
A little later, Parrott also called Polk's attention to a plan by which a young Irish priest by the name of McNamara hoped to colonize California with immigrants from his own country. Late in 1844, the details of this plan, which afterwards received considerable fame as the cause of Fremont's activities in connection with the settlers' revolt, were laid before Bankhead, who had taken Pakenham's place as British minister to Mexico. Bankhead apparently took only an indifferent interest in them, but McNamara pressed the idea so successfully before the Mexican government that he was permitted to go to California to carry out his dream. On July 4, 1846, so Polk was told, the California Assembly voted the young Irishman a grant of 3,000 leagues for colonizing purposes. This act, said Larkin, the president's informant, constituted a new feature in English policy and a new method of obtaining California. Other despatches from Mexico in the late summer and fall of 1845 brought additional reports of British activities in California. But the most vigorous warning on the subject was contained in a communication to the State Department from Larkin at Monterey. This despatch, dated July 10, 1845, was received at Washington early in October. Its influence upon the administration was strikingly shown in much of the correspondence the State Department subsequently had with its agents both in Mexico and in England. In his letter, Larkin pointed out three definite instances of British activities in California. The first of these was the part played by the Hudson's Bay Company in the Micheltorena Revolution. The second was the financial aid supplied to the Mexican government by two British houses in Mexico for sending an expedition to put down any revolution that Americans might organize in the province. And the third was the appointment of a British agent who, ostensibly serving in a consular capacity, was really set to carry out some secret plans against the interests of the United States and California. The British agent, to whom Larkin referred in this communication, was James Alexander Forbes, a resident of California for many years. This Forbes was not the author of the History of California previously referred to. His interest in extending English control over the province may be judged from the following extract from a letter he addressed to Baron at Tepic on September 4th, 1844. Quote, I feel myself in duty bound to prevent this fine country from falling into the hands of any other foreign power than that of England. I repeat that it is impossible for Mexico to hold California for a much longer period, and if the government of Great Britain can, with honor to itself and without giving umbrage to Mexico, extend its protection to California, I should presume that it would be impolitic to allow any other nation to avail itself of the present critical situation in California for obtaining a foothold in this country. Forbes afterwards showed his zeal on England's behalf by organizing juntas favorable to British interests among the Californians, and by protesting against Fremont's presence in the province at the time of the Hawks Peak affair. About this time, also, reports came to the administration of another movement, the success of which would quite certainly defeat American ambitions on the Pacific. This was the plan of establishing a monarchy in Mexico and calling in a European prince to occupy the newly created throne. John Black, United States Consul in Mexico City, first drew Polk's attention to the movement in a despatch dated December 30, 1845. According to the report, 
a revolution that had already been started to carry out the monarchist program which france spain and england were pledged to support as a matter of fact both bankhead the british minister and aberdeen were well disposed toward the movement and as corroboration of black's report word came from the american ambassador in london louis h mclean that the leading powers of europe were planning to compose the mexican trouble by giving her a monarchical form of government and supplying the monarch from one of their own family it was afterwards rumored that the new sovereign would be the spanish prince henry the rejected suitor of queen isabella what mclean and black had written was further confirmed by despatches from diamond american consul at veracruz and later by reports from john slidell the chief object in setting up this monarchy according to semi-official information was to defeat the texas and california programs of the united states by european intervention while these various reports were reaching washington and the british agents in mexico were vigorously urging the importance of the california situation upon their home government the mexican representatives in london were anxiously seeking english aid to defeat the program of the united states the british cabinet by this time bravely over its indifference to the fate of california was almost as eager as mexico to find some course of action which while not involving war would effectively block american expansion on the pacific the mexican representative in london who bore the interesting name of murphy believed that if the oregon question were once adjusted and england could secure the slightest cooperation from france she would not balk even at the use of force to prevent california from falling into american hands various plans were brought forward by the british and mexican diplomats under which england while remaining nominally at peace might be made the custodian of california especially in case of war between mexico and the united states one of these called for the cession of fifty million acres of land in the province to a british company another proposed by lord aberdeen involved the establishment of an independent government in california which should be recognized by mexico and guaranteed by england and france in california also affairs were progressing in a way to give increasing reason for uneasiness to the american government could they have been fully known here the leaders in the british cause were james forbes vice-consul and admiral seymour of the english fleet seymour especially was anxious to secure the consent of his superiors for active measures in the california issue but owing to the nature of his instructions he had to content himself with sending one of his vessels the juno under captain blake to california waters to counteract so far as possible the growing peril of american intrigue blake carried out his orders with the aid of forbes to the best of his ability working especially to influence pio pico and other southern leaders against the idea of an american protectorate about this time also a call was issued by the california officials for a meeting at santa barbara on june fifteenth eighteen forty six of a consejo general to deal with the desperate situation which the province faced it was commonly believed that this assembly would declare california independent and seek the protection of some outside power england france or the united states Footnote. the french government like the british and the american cherished its own ambitions to acquire california it contented itself however aside from diplomatic maneuvering in mexico with sending an occasional representative to investigate conditions in the province 
the most important of these after the close of the spanish regime were Perithours and duflot de mofra the former in command of the frigate venus in which he was making a voyage around the world for scientific purposes touched on the california coast in eighteen thirty seven mofra came direct from mexico on a quasi-official mission in eighteen forty one both mofra and Perithour afterward published interesting accounts of their observations and experiences in california in footnote learning of this admiral seymour himself sailed from san blas to california to make if possible a last stand for the british cause the die however had already been cast when seymour reached monterey he found commodore sloat securely in possession and the american flag floating over the quiet town enough has already been said to show that president polk had ample reason for believing that england was determined to possess california while there is no direct evidence to show that he deliberately brought on the mexican war as a means of defeating this contingency by hastening american occupation of the province there is at least sufficient grounds to make such reasoning wholly logical and whether one is warranted in going quite so far as to say that the report of british activities in california led the administration to turn from a waiting policy which gave every evidence of eventual success had the english factor been removed to one of immediate conquest there at least runs through all the diplomatic correspondence of the time an insistent note of alarm over this threatened danger in buchanan's dispatch of october seventeenth eighteen forty five appointing larkin polk's confidential agent great emphasis is laid upon british interests in california larkin is repeatedly warned to exert the greatest vigilance and to prevent a european nation from acquiring possession of the province and assured in the most definite language that the president could not view with indifference the transfer of california to great britain or any other european power similarly mclean the american ambassador at london was told that a great flame would be kindled throughout the union should great britain obtain a cession of california from mexico or attempt to take possession of that province slidell having been informed that the united states would use every means to prevent california from falling into european hands was instructed to ascertain whether mexico had any intention of ceding it to france or england and to exert all his energies to prevent an act which if consummated would be fraught with danger to the best interest of the united states in polk's public utterances also this fear of english advance into the province found a foremost place indeed it became the distinct motive for his reaffirmation and enlargement of the monroe doctrine one of the first steps incidentally by which that famous policy has grown to its present significant position and certainly there was no trace of hypocrisy in polk's words when he thus wrote at the close of the mexican war regarding the acquisition of california Quote, the immense value of the ceded territory does not consist alone in the amount of money for which the public lands may be sold the fact that it has become a part of the union and cannot be subject to a european power constitutes ample indemnity for the past one wonders indeed what might have been the effect upon the destiny of the united states if during those critical months preceding the mexican war a more imperialistic cabinet had come into power in england and the less resolute man had been president of the united states End of chapter fourteen